speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. It's Everybody. been a while. Uh, welcome to Roxy Fever. We have we haven't self canceled yet. Nope. Uh, also, JD is here. Again. I might help with that. <laughs> yeah, the- yeah, yeah. You you want to hold on to your to your very sweet words. I figure at this point, like, like canceled. Uh, standing invitation to just have JD be the third mic on the show. Uh, well, I'd love along that, with a few but... other people. Um. Yeah. You know the 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 Roxy Fever expanded universe characters that you've all uh, grown to love. Hard um, uh, to replace Elliot. Like I'll have to go silent for 15, 20 minutes <laughs> and just drop like the funniest joke of the whole. Yeah, ex- absolutely. <laughs> uh, just a random. Um, the funniest I- thing would be if it's like we revealed. Uh, we should actually do this. I should not put this in the episode because now I'm ruining it. But the funniest bit would be like in the very last episode of the show, just like have Elliot on again and just act like he was here the entire time, but just didn't say anything. <laughs> well, it's, it's redoing the Adler bit again. Yeah. Uh, 50 years so ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I really want to say something that shouldn't be on the show. Cause I assume his, his uh, latest news is not, he tweeted about it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, he fucking tweeted about it. I just thought it was very funny that he doesn't have his job right when he when he when he took a took a leave from the show. It's like, well, yeah. you got you got time now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> taking That's a leave fun. from everything. Fair except, enough. Except parenthood, which is except, a lot. So. Yeah, except, he's trying to actually be an attentive parent. It's great. It's yeah, very good. I love to see it. Um. So. We it's like I said, it's been a while. Uh Fias was away without internet, which is very funny during like uh arguably well certainly the biggest period for uh Canucks news in uh yeah. several months. So we gotta talk about uh free agency and um and the the stupid Ian Cole number controversy. Uh but it's speaking been- of which real quick. Yeah. So you were saying that anybody who disagreed with you on that point, just as we were talking before, yeah, but I agree with mic. you. Yeah. Should uh, dunk their head in the toilet. Yeah. Should have their head dunked in a toilet. Yeah. This isn't really a joke. This is just an observation. But uh-huh. like, insofar as the toilet is like clean, right? Like squeaky uh-huh. clean. Yeah. Um, has really good flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, like really, like you know, like the Australia Simpsons episode. Like it's yes. Like that water's going. That would be kind of relaxing, right? No. Could, it, could it? Could it be? Have either of you? And I guess I'll also ask: Have either of you ever been twirling before? No, no. Uh, no. Okay. I mean, like, no, no. Okay, so what I'll say One question is that I wasn't prepared for. I'll tell you that. If, right. if they flush no, the toilet, you're gonna be fucking ready for this, bud. Immediately, like they dunk your head in the toilet and they flush it just like that. It's pro- there's probably worse things. You could have happened to you, 
but the the thing that really makes it bad is in my opinion is like well how long are you in there before they flush the toilet mm. you know because mm. like you're you're being held upside down like you're 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 practically being well, your head's just kind of getting a bath oh oh you think like I mean, they your don't... nose and everything is yeah. Right? That's how true. Quickly you can rinse off some shampoo, though. I just had that thought. You know, that's true. <laughs> if it would make your if it was today. like if it was like yeah. if if they there was some sort of contraption that uh, had the toilet like upside down somehow, and you were just like you were right side up, but somehow still getting dunked in a toilet, which I realize is like physically impossible. Um, but like that would be fine because gravity's on your side, so you're not gonna get like water in your nose. But like, I would imagine that like n- somewhere in the neighborhood of like seventy five percent of toilet dunking incidents, you're you're getting water up your nose. Uh, which which if is you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I I I can for some reason just like picture that some high tech like. Uh, Korean house there for skincare or like for mm-hmm. uh, just just relaxation that there is like this Sanyo device that simulates what a swirly would be because it I don't know I just feel like somebody out there maybe not gets off on it but it feels good and has explored this uh, this this is not the worst cold open. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, no, oh, it's not. Dude, this is Kel dude consciousness, like distilled yeah. to its first form. <laughs> it, is, it is distilled, distilled PG, yeah. distilled. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. Uh, what I was gonna say is that oh, you were gonna uh, say something. I was. It's <laughs> been uh, so long that we still haven't talked about the draft, which happened what two weeks ago now. Is that right? Uh, about that, thirteen, yeah. 14 days. So that would be so it'll be two weeks by the time the episode comes out. Um, and wouldn't you know it? I have some thoughts, and I I know JD has some thoughts because he texted Mm -hmm. me after the draft and basically said, I'm so pissed about this that you have to let me come on the show and talk. (laughs) I didn't know that after already being on the show last time. So this is a this is gonna be a great little like before and after. Well, um, well, it's it's funny because I, I re-listened to the last show and I thought about like you talked about Nate Danielson, Benson, and Oliver Moore and, and Ryan Leonard, but I didn't talk about Tom Villander. And I really which we should have. That that yeah. that was an oversight. Yeah, exactly. And then of course, be you know, the Canucks draft him, and I was like, oh geez, that was a that was a real miss on my part. And and he would have fit whose whose part was it a miss on? I mean, kind of mine because it was asked okay. like you know, who, who do you think they'll take? And I brought up Benson and Moore and, um, you know, all that. But I didn't I didn't bring up the launder. And, of course, he was somebody they were linked to in the months leading up to that process. So I, I really should have. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those ones where, like, I, I like the player. I don't like the spot they took him at. And I don't like the talent they left on the board to do it. That, that, for me, is where the, the problems uh, arise. Because, you know, we joked about if they don't take Zach Benson, well, you got a January 6th uh, project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then it all played out precisely like that. And, and I knew he was going to fall out of the top 10, which is what made it, you know, that much more upsetting. You know, like, he, it's, it's kind of as if you saw it play out in slow motion. 
And, you know, it, it like, it's funny because Jackson talked a lot about, you know, at what point do you draft for need, uh, positional need? And, well, and- I, I actually, I feel like that's a mischaracterization, but I'll let you finish because I have a lot to say about that. So yeah, yeah, you, you can elaborate on that yeah. for sure. And, and, and like, you know, it's, if two players are pretty close, perhaps you can make that distinction because you have a need within the system and, and, you know, at 11, they might be playing within two, three seasons anyway. Um, and then it really played out that way at the draft. The first three picks were defensemen. Four of the seven were defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like they really prioritize that position, and particularly the, the the right side. And they left a lot of talent on the board to do it, aside from the Hunter versus Stevitz pick. So, you know, uh, just, yeah, I was not thrilled with how that played out. And Jackson, I'll let you elaborate on the positional debate now that I'm done ranting. Yeah, well, well, first of all, like the uh, uh, this draft, uh, particularly the the Valander pick, uh, was like every finger on the monkey's paw curling at once. Uh, <laughs> after me saying like, "Oh, they," I I really do think they should think about targeting defensemen more or whatever. But I'm just trying to think for a second about like who from an NHL organization because I don't want to say who the person actually was. Um, but I, I just want to make up like who the most outlandish person uh, would be that I could, that I could be talking to Kyle Dubas. Uh, I was talking to Kyle Dubas the other day mm-hmm. and um, my close friend, Pittsburgh Penguins president of hockey operations, Kyle Dubas uh, told me that, you know, there this internal debate happens a lot with NHL teams where uh they're they talk about position and at the draft and like but but the smart teams, it's less about positional need, which is one of the stupidest things to draft for, mm-hmm. and more about essentially making the calculation, making like the bet that certain players and like particularly right now, and you, you never want to get too bogged down in the market of right now today, but mm-hmm. basically you're not drafting a guy because you, you're not drafting a defenseman because you're like, we need a defenseman, but you're, you're putting defensemen higher up on your draft board uh, with the understanding that there are multiple ways to build a team and a right-handed defenseman in particular has way more exchange value than a winger of the same or similar quality. Mm-hmm. So Correct. the the reason that you're doing it isn't because you're like, we need a defenseman, but because you're like, well, look, even if we like take a Reinbacher uh, at five that Montreal uh, took, that's too high probably to take Reinbacher. But let's say you feel, and I'm just doing this totally hypothetically, but like, let's say you feel that the absolute worst case scenario floor for David Reinbacher is like a he's what six two, mm-hmm. um, a six two number four right handed defenseman, mm-hmm. and it's like you could make the argument that if you aren't actually intending on, you know doing the the traditional rebuild thing and drafting a bunch of guys and waiting for them to 
to develop all at the same time and then go on a cup run or whatever, that just getting that guy in your system and then trading him at uh, at like 20 or 21 or whatever to like, mm-hmm. you know, give you like a boost uh, is a thing that actually makes a lot of sense. And now where the problem comes in for me is that if you're going to do that with a top like 15 pick, then just trade the pick because the player that you get with the pick is probably not going to be worth more than the pick itself. And if he is, then you're not going to want to trade him basically. Right. Um, and, and you also probably only want to do that depending on like the stage of, of, of your competitive arc, right? Like if, yeah. if you're a team that's close to contention, then exchange value means a lot. If you were the Canucks, then it doesn't quite mean as much because you just need to inject talent into the lineup. Right. Exactly. And, and so the, the whole like, uh, uh, defenseman, you know, right-handed defenseman thing and prioritizing right-handed defenseman uh, at the draft. Something that happens to a lot of teams that actually uh, have statistical models take this kind of thing into account and aren't just like essentially throwing darts at a bunch of names. Like, I would, I don't know, I would say like probably half of all NHL teams are just doing that. Um mm-hmm. You, I think a lot of people would be like horrified at how non-standardized the draft process is for a lot of teams, like how lacking in, I don't know, I guess you would say like detail orientation a lot of teams are when it comes to the draft. And but uniformity. The smart... Like once you get to yeah. about 20th overall, like those boards are just wildly divergent. And that I don't necessarily have a problem with. Like I, I... I think it's good to have strong opinions and stick to your guns. What I don't like is when you can see teams that are clearly just like throwing their hands up and are like, we don't know, but like our one scout likes this guy Mm -hmm. and it's just not based on anything, but you know, Kyle Dubas, my, my close personal friend, Kyle Dubas that I was talking to (laughs) um, was saying that a lot of these teams that are actually, that are actually smart at the draft teams that use, um, models and we know there are a few of them i know i don't know if the islanders still have a model uh it's really funny because the islanders are the kings of uh making really good picks and having them not pan out um or at least they were for a time but i know they were a team that had a model for a long time and a lot of these uh more sort of analytically inclined teams at the draft will start pushing right-handed defensemen and centers up their list uh, for the reason that I talked about a second ago, you know, thinking about exchange value, thinking about like, if we take a guy in the fifth round and develop him, can we turn him into a player that can get traded for a third rounder as an example, right? As like a value play. Um, What ends up happening is that teams do this where they go, okay, well, we'll bump this center up a little bit because he's a center or we'll bump this right-handed guy uh, right-handed defenseman up a little bit because he's a right-handed defenseman. And then what happens is they get taken like 30 spots too early anyways. And then they end up drafting a five foot 10 skilled winger <laughs> because <laughs> those are the guys that are left that fall. And so I think sometimes like uh, these, these ideas, they get a bum rap because of how uh, obscenely um, 
I guess basically bad a lot of teams draft philosophy is. And to to circle this back to to Valander, um, the problem that I have with that pick is that I'm totally unconvinced that they couldn't have gotten like theoretically anyways. Now a lot teams didn't really seem to want to trade up or trade down, but hypothetically what I would push back on like Cam Robinson and I, we did some reporting on EP rank side about Mm -hmm. the draft and some of the trades that almost went down. And, um, you know, I reached out to a few teams. One told me they tried to call the Canucks and they didn't even field an offer because they got the sense that this team just was so determined to make that pick at 11. I know they spoke to a team that had a pick in the mid teens that was willing to, to, to include an additional second round pick. And that just didn't materialize because the Canucks felt if they dropped more than one, two, maybe three spots, they would lose out on Villander. And, and I do think there's something to that. I really do. Like the sense I got reaching out to a lot of teams and scouts was that DeLander was going to go around 15. That was predetermined. Yeah. I mean, and you talk about exchange value, mm-hmm. he's a right shot defenseman, and he's probably the second best one in the class, uh, right behind Reinbacher. And, and you know, it, he's a really impressive player in his, his own respect, right? Like it, it's one of those ones where I almost feel bad because I'm in a position where I have to, um talk negatively about the, the the pick even though i quite like the player i mean mm-hmm. we had him at, i think 23rd overall at, at elite prospects and and with the benefit of hindsight and you know thinking about how i would shape my own board i think he would have been closer to about you know 15 20 in that range if they had taken him in last year's draft instead of jonathan lakaramaki in this Oh, that would be amazing. Every, would nobody be would be mad. Like would, everybody would be like, that's a really great pick. That's a great bet. But it's always relative. And and the thing that particularly in a class like this that bothers me about the the pick is that you you mentioned there's there's talent still on the board, and you know, that's an obvious one. But I, I have I mean, I still think it's stupid, but I guess I have I have some time for the Canucks being like, we just, we have enough wingers. Wingers don't have a lot of value. We can, we feel confident that like, this is something we don't need a top uh, 12 pick to address. I I have some time for that, but Mm -hmm. where, where I start to get pissed off about the Valander pick is that I'm just not convinced that they couldn't have, essentially traded down to the 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 middle or even late uh first recouped a second round pick and not gotten two right-handed defensemen that at least from a like you know uh, uh a a blind test like look at the profile uh standpoint two right-handed defensemen that would seemingly have about the same shot yeah, and, and it's I mean, making making the NHL being an impact uh NHL defenseman. And when you're when you're doing that and you're passing up on like a guy who ceiling is is like potentially Braden Point, that's a problem. Well, yeah, but I mean my my pushback to that would be that if you wanted a right shot defenseman, the next one that went off the board was was Oliver Bonk. 
And, right. and he's a solid defensive prospect. I knew he was going to go in the first round, but we had him closer to 70 than 20. Sure. Um, you know, and then you look at, you know, Tanner Melendic, uh, Axel Sendin Pelika, Mikhail Guyayev. It, it's all lefties. And Theo Lindstein went two rounds too soon. Um, sure. So if you wanted to lock down a right shot defenseman, that was the one way you could do it in this draft with a high pick. But uh, Sandine Pelica was right-handed for some reason. No, but... he, he's a lefty. Um, and they, they actually played uh, together, if, if memory serves, on Sweden's top pair. Mm-hmm. at the. Uh, oh, no, Sandine Pelica is a righty. So my, okay. my mistake. I'm really bad at handedness. I always forget. No, that's that. fair. I, I have that problem, too. I have Can to I get a quick question in myself. about Bielander that I, I noticed by uh, looking at the EP website for him. Uh, I haven't seen a Swedish first-round pick ever play in the NCAA in their draft minus one or their draft year. What's, dra- what's yeah, the he's... deal with him going to college? Well, so in Sweden, it's it's pretty fascinating. Like if, if you're a top prospect, you probably should get some SHL games by your draft year. Um, like yeah. that's pretty common practice, but you don't get a lot of ice time. And now this isn't necessarily a problem in a prospect's draft year because, uh, you know, just playing in that league is, is indicative of a high likelihood of playing in the NHL and and you'll only be up for a handful of games anyway but as you get into the draft plus one draft plus two seasons it becomes a lot more difficult to reconcile that position because you're either in the J20 or you're in the SHL if you're in the J20 you're not facing the competition that you need to develop um, at the same rate as your peers so you really have to stand out to get those SHL minutes or you could go down to the Hockey Al Svenskin, which is the second level of Swedish hockey. Um, for Tom Bielander, or something, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And and you can also run into the ice time problem with the Hockey Al Svenskin too, um, because in that league you have the chance to be promoted to the SHL or face relegation to the Hockey at Ten. Like the stakes are pretty high. And so in Tom Villander's case, he he just decided. I'm going to go the North American route. This gives me a chance to acclimatize better to that environment. It gives me a chance to play in a much higher leverage role uh, at BU. And, and he's going to be playing in, in some really tough situations, too, that he'll have to prove his mettle, right? Like um, we talked about some of those top prospects from the USNTDP. Well, three of them, um, Ryan Leonard and, and Will Smith and Gabe Perot, are going to Boston College as, as, as a line. And that's three first-round picks. And he'll be yeah. up against them repeatedly throughout that season. And and so... And you know, players players step right off of the ice in the NCAA, straight the on to an NHL roster, and are elite players. Like, it happens. It, happens it doesn't often. happen all the time. But, like, Quinn Hughes. It's, it's also really good for someone's physical development as well. Yeah. Because... You know, they only play about 40 to 45 games in a season in the NCAA, which means that you have a lot of time in practice. You have a lot of time in the gym, a lot of focus on on nutrition, on schooling. Like it's it's really the best route, frankly, I mm. think, um, from a developmental perspective. And I think it is to his credit that he's going this route. Uh, it's one of the more, I don't know, positive aspects of his profile. Um, yeah, I like the development path. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing, too, is he's. Um, he's 18, uh, and he'll, you know, like, 
I'm not saying this is likely necessarily, but if he blows it out of the water next year, uh, in his draft plus two, because he's uh, Swedish, because he's not uh, subject to the CHL NHL agreement, he could go and play in the AHL as a 19 year old. Yep, which is also okay. awesome. Anytime yeah. and players can do that, help. that's really good. And get some NHL games too, because that's yeah, all totally the way the teams you know, get, get these prospects to sign. And, and so that's one thing about his profile that I, I do like a lot. Um, there's also some red flags though, that, that I see with, with Phil Onder. And, and one of the most glaring ones is that he kind of represents this trend within the Canucks scouting department to, to rate someone highly according to how they play at the U18s. Like it, yeah. it, it just keeps happening. And, you know, I, I think the the counter to that is that in my my case, like I, I look at someone like Miro Heiskanen, and I saw him as a player who was getting a lot of helium because of the U18s. I didn't budge, and I looked like a fool because of it. So you yeah. don't want to not take that into account. But in, in Villander's case, you're looking at someone who was outside of the first round based on a lot of publications yeah. in February. And it wasn't until he played exceptionally well at the U18s that he was, you know, a, a lock in the first round. So, you know, he he's kind of like Danila Klimovich in that that respect. And, you know, you can get fooled by small samples. That and, and, that and strategy it, has never worked for the Canucks. No. Why do you why it, do you it, think it that's never paid become off. a trend? Well, like, what, what do you think their logic is? They have GMs that want to be scouts. Uh, yeah. So Jim Benning, like you, you can't be a scout if you're a GM. You don't have the time, you don't have the the, the resources, right. um, but you can be at these tournaments, especially if your team sucks. <laughs> yeah, point <laughs> in the season, it's not like yeah. you have to be around the rink a lot. So yeah. they'll go to these tournaments, and and the GM often has uh, say so on the first pick. That is often how it goes. And so I don't want to like say definitively that Patrick Alvin was at this tournament. You saw Tom Villander, but that is often the case with teams that overscout the U18s. And they just have- to interject there, I, I will say that if you are a president of hockey operations or even an NHL owner, and I don't normally advocate for NHL owners to have any to exist actually basically but also definitely not to have input into the hockey team except in this instance uh if you're anyone higher than a gm in the pecking order in the in the uh when it comes to the balance of power a really good rule you could have is don't let your general manager make the first round pick don't let him have an opinion don't let him uh because that is so much of the reason why we see teams Biff first round picks all the time is because they have a guy whose job is not to do that. And who in many ways is not qualified to do that overriding the people who spend all year doing that. And they, and they don't have the frame of reference or exactly the context to, to, you know, place that tournament in the appropriate, I don't know, uh, wait, you know, like, like Tom Delander, he was really impressive at the U18s. And and I looked at some of his work against the American top line and I was like, wow, this is pretty special. He can keep up. He has defensive range. He's intelligent. He's a proactive defender. Like there were signs that, yeah, this is someone who could translate to the NHL and translate in a pretty um, high leverage capacity, but it's still two weeks. And, and if you look at who Sweden played, I mean, 
it's Latvia, it's Germany, it's it's a Czech team that didn't have a lot of talent. It's Slovakia who put out a hell of a fight. So like it's it's not as if he was shining against the absolute best that his age group had to to offer, um, you know, consistently. So really, you're banking on a sample of three competitive games. And there's no context in which that's the appropriate way to scout. So, you okay, know, I'm I'm just looking at the roster for the Swedish U18 team as well. It was stacked. <laughs> there are it's a it's a standard uh, size roster as far as I can tell. And there are only eight guys on it that weren't drafted. And one of them is a goalie. And and, how and they brought three goals because you have Otto Stenberg, you have Theo Lindstein, you have Axel Sandin Pelica, you have Tom yeah. Hunter. Well, that's what I mean. Like like a, a lot of them were drafted this year. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, it's it's all guys who, uh, yeah, like you mentioned Axel Sandin Pelica, like he was on this team. Theo, you know, Theo Lindstein got taken too high, but he was on this team. Like it's not you look at it and it's it seems reasonable to think that or at least to wonder i should say um oh did this guy just play with really good players like is he the reason that they were good or is it easier to look good when you're playing with a a basically what is at that level an all-star team and i mean mm-hmm. we might as well just i might as well just go to it right away because it's the uh it, it was going to come up at some point anyways like Ole Ulevi, that's the comparison people make. Um, I think that's tremendously unfair to Ole Ulevi. Um, a lot of hindsight with the criticisms of that pick. One of the yeah. only cases where the hindsight people are have a point and were kind of correct. Uh, because the the uh, without digressing too much, uh, if Matthew Kachuk was such an obvious can't miss prospect on the wing. Then why were Jesse Pugliarvi and Patrick Laine taken in front of him? And, and Pierre Luc Dubois. And Pierre Luc Dubois. And I mean Pierre Luc Dubois is a center, so that that yeah, would yeah, be the that's, reason that's why. Good. But but yeah, like uh uh but I mean I didn't like the Ulevi pick when they made it. I, I wrote a article about the the kind of general as a general draft philosophy, like uh unless it's it's like an Owen Power or somebody like taking a defenseman super high in the draft is often not a smart idea um, at the time that they made the pick and something that I wished that I had talked about more at the time was the exact thing that I'm talking about with the lander, which is in uh, London uh, he's playing with one of the best li- uh, lines in OHL history, a line where every player on that line was in the NHL the following year and had at mm-hmm. least like 40 points in the NHL. Um, he doesn't put up particularly pack too, like a lot of. Yeah. And he, he didn't, uh, he didn't put up like a ton of points. And then once again, he had a great tournament. But he's play. I know I just shat on Patrick Laine and Jesse Pugliarvi, but as prospects, like my God, and they're still decent NHL players. But like he was playing on a stacked roster internationally as well. I think Sebastian Ajo was on that team, mm-hmm. um, and so you know I I, I look at Valander and I understand there are physical tools, and I understand that to some degree 
it's probably unfair to hold the fact that he didn't play that much in the SHL this season against him, given that he everyone knew he was going to the NCAA. I don't think that that is as much of a thing in the SHL as it is in, say, like the KHL, but it definitely would have an impact. Um, I understand that there are there are things to like about him, and I understand that some of the red flags are maybe uh, overstated, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we are talking about a big right-handed defenseman playing in a league that's not very good who didn't really put up that many points for a league that's not that great. And I I know you can't just uh, sham Sharon Potato every draft pick, but Volander doesn't pass the potato test to me. No, no. He 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 looks like a guy who, if you if his if you did a random player A player B test to any model and you didn't attach like a name to it whatsoever, there would be nothing about this guy that would tell you he has to go in the first round, let alone at eleven. And that terrifies me mm-hmm. because because. There were guys on the board, a couple, and certainly Zach Benson, who look like something would have to go terribly wrong for them to at least not be like a usable NHL player at the very least. And I look at Volander and I, like he's an Ole Ulevi injury or whatever away from like not being in the NHL or I mean, not even necessarily needing to get injured like. That's what I see in the profile. And that doesn't mean that that's true. And and a prospect's physical, you know, uh, statistical profile is not their destiny. But it's not nothing, though, right? Like, yeah. it's part of the evaluation. <laughs> and and it's one of those ones where if, if he doesn't pan out, you'll be able to point to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Much the same way you could to some degree with, with Ewell Levy. So was... Was there a better defenseman to choose? Because I know you said earlier that he was like the second best right-handed defenseman and uh, Ryan Backer was the first, but defenseman in general, I have another point to make after this, depending on the answer, but yeah, yeah. where did you stack there? I mean, according to, to our board, um, you you know, like I think Axel Sandin Pelica, we had well ahead of, of Tom Vilander. Um, you know, I, I look up some of the defensemen that went um if you're not married to handedness i think there is a case for a lot of defensemen ahead of him personally uh, yes and no maybe like, a I, lot is an overstatement I but a couple Pelica, to be honest like that's that's the one maybe you can make a case for tanner uh Melendic yeah. and maybe mikhail guyaya but we had them both below what about uh, uh dragasevich uh you know what the feet they concern okay, okay. yeah that's fair <laughs> he could just not play I did speak to somebody who had Dragasevich ahead of Volander, but I he he's the best offensive defenseman in this draft. Yeah. Oh, he went seventh because he can't move. Yeah, and fair enough. And that is fair. That's very fair. But it's worth considering. Yes. That it's it's worth considering. I think not so much saying, oh, well, they should have taken this guy instead of that guy. But it it tells you something that that when you take 
the when you take Tom Volander at 11th overall and you can get the best offensive defenseman in the draft at 57. Yeah, I think that tells you something. Well, even something, if it, even something if it, else to think of is that you know, the yeah. Red Wings took uh, Sandy Pelica with the the pick that the Canucks sent them in the, the Ronin <laughs> trade. So that's, that's going to be a yeah. very funny one to track, um, especially both right shot, both Swedish defensemen, both excelled at the U18s. Um, that'll It'll be, be so funny if they get if Axel Sandy and Pelica hits. And they get a better right-handed defenseman than Philip Ronick or Tom Valander. I mean, Hakan Anderson, who does uh, the the drafting out of Europe for Detroit, he's the one who found um, Zetterberg and, and Datsuk. He's he's pretty good at Technically, his job. Adler. Technically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you don't want to bet against him. Yeah. So, we'll see how that one goes. But I mean, the fact that he was willing to take Sandy Pelica and didn't vouch for. Philander or Sandy Pelica at nine when Detroit took uh, mm-hmm. Nate Danielson. Oh, that's pretty revealing in its its own respect. Yeah, so I, the I fact that the they point. wanted Nate Danielson instead of Tom Volander, sorry to interrupt you, Vias, yep. is a very bad sign because Nate Danielson is the only guy they could they could have taken there that I would have been more upset about than than Tom. He, he's forward Tom Delander. <laughs> yeah, exactly, a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they just, it's, it's really painful to see them leave that much talent on the board. I mean, it, it could be Benson. It could have been Oliver Moore. Um, yeah. it could have been a whole host of, of different players and, uh, you know, it, perhaps they'll come out on top of this one, you know, like, uh, I don't know that they, they should get the benefit of the doubt based on how they've drafted in the last, well, in the post-jet bracket. Uh, era of the Canucks, but and even the Judd Brackett era. Well, like, yeah, I, they do find a lot of defensemen. That's one thing that that isn't brought. And up. it's like you look at some of the guys that that, and don't get me wrong, like I do think Judd Brackett was a good uh, director of scouting, but like, um, I'll I'll make this point quickly, and then I'll let Vias say what he was going to say. But the. <laughs> the whole argument of like, well, I'm going to trust the stats or, or sorry, I'm going to trust, uh, trust the scouts over some random guy on the internet. The thing about that argument is that that argument is only fair. If the team and the scouts have done a better job than some random guy on the internet. And that has not been the case for the Vancouver Canucks. No, it has not. (laughs) I, I, this is painful and I'm sorry to do it because I don't actually think that I am very smart or know very much about scouting. But if I was the one making the selections, I would have done a much better job of drafting in the first round over the past eight years or so than the actual Vancouver Canucks did. That's a fact. And that's like a verifiable fact from anybody that I worked at with Canucks Army. Like you probably if you wanted to could like pull up an old draft list of mine uh mm-hmm. or somebody fucking in anybody who still has access to the Canucks army slack <laughs> could do that um what's going on in that slack what do you think <laughs> I, I would love to know yeah um, to uh but yeah the uh on the Jed bracket thing like quite no the Canucks army with uh quads they probably use like snapchat or something you're, you're probably right. Yeah. Like J- Judd Brackett, even, you know, the reason Judd Brackett is remembered so fondly here is because of how terrible the drafting was before he got here. But if you actually look at the body of work, like 
the guys that you and I had to take huge L's on, uh, like what's Adam Gaudet doing these days? Yeah. What's Tyler Madden doing these days? What's Nikita Trampkin? I know that wasn't technically yeah. bracket. Like, what are those guys doing? Like, even when they hit, it didn't really matter. It didn't really amount to all that much. And then the guys like, that they missed on trade assets is, is my one. Yeah. Pick. Which like is, and that's built, not nothing. No, you could that's have built fair. packages around Madden. Well, they, 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 they did. did. Package yeah. Madden. You could have built one around Rathbone. You could have built one around um, Gaudet, like, and, and on and on. So they found assets. Yeah. It's better than, it's better than just taking, you know, like them taking, uh, Madden was better for them than taking Jake Wise, who is who I would have taken based on purely numbers related reasons. Yeah, yeah. So we have to take the L on. And so I absolutely do take the L on it. But what is the like relative value of me fucking that up versus me drafting Nikolai Ehlers instead of Jake Vertanen? Yes. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Like it it's it it's lapping the field several times over. So it it's one of those things where with regards to to Villander specifically um my instinct is to kind of just go like well i'm going to keep saying the same thing until they're right until they like knock it out of the puck park with one of these and i'm totally wrong and it's and it doesn't end up in 5 years while the the difference was like a fifth round pick who was who could be traded for Matthew Heimler versus mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> you know yeah. i need better returns from them so anyways vias i i apologize i i totally stepped over you there but you were gonna... no it still it still applies like as the lay fan my analysis ends up coming from the ripples of the actual thing happening right like i don't when a pick gets picked i still have no idea who that person is and i'm, I'm relying on guys like you to tell me what the deal is and see what the general public reaction is. And what I'm thinking is uh, the counterfactual of like the Canucks have no defense in my mind in, in the coming up the pipeline. Right. Like, is that, is that a fair statement to make? Yeah, I would say so. It's certainly yeah. in the Lambert's age. Is, is back on track, but even then, like as well, Com- com- comparing us to like a top 10 NHL team, uh, manage like it was well managed. Like we're we're nowhere near anybody else in terms. Not of even close. Yeah, definitely, right? And the so and the mind, guys that we do have coming up through the pipeline are like 23, 24. Yeah, yeah. So with with that in mind, would the Canucks have been? Would the reaction have been just why aren't the Canucks picking defensemen right now? Right, like yeah, people would have been excited by by Benson, but I assume some cooler heads. Say the Canucks picked a guy like Benson, who the flashy name that everybody wanted, everybody had sort of heard about. Um, if they did do that, I just assume there would be criticism for the Canucks not getting a defenseman. And uh, I can just kind of picture somebody much smarter than me saying, uh, "Well, Wielander, Wielander was right there. You had a right, right shot defenseman." And you know, the, I'm well, curious what you guys think the reaction would have been. Otherwise. Well, this is a, a good segue into the rest of the draft. It really is, yeah. I, yeah, it's a perfect um, one, really. And it, because they prioritize the position beyond that with the the, the two third-round picks. I mean, they got Hunter versus Stevitz, um, who I rate very highly. Like That I, was I a great pick. That was their that only, like, knock-it-out-of-the-park pick of the draft, in my opinion. It was opinion. just an outright good pick. 
Like yeah. we had him closer to 50 than 75. Um, the feet are a bit of a problem, but he can move the puck. He can pass from the top of the offensive zone. Um, Usually really- I'm willing to bet on an 18 year old that has to fix his skating. Yep. Yep. Sometimes it happens. And yeah. and you look at his trajectory and it's, it's kind of fascinating because he was on the USNTDP U18 squad in his draft minus one season, which is a pretty, you know, that's a nice feather in one in one's cap. Right. Um, and he was on pace to join Michigan as an 18 year old. So, you know, he was tracking as like a top 10 pick in his, his draft minus one season. Then he opts to go to Kitchener in the OHL. He doesn't quite produce the way I think, you know, some people thought, um, even though he put up a ton of points. I mean, 57 and 68 games is nothing to, to sneeze at. But I think the feet didn't come along as hoped, and, and that's why he fell. And I think that's a really good bet by the Canucks. Um, the, the one that followed it, Sawyer uh, Minio, not quite as enthusiastic about. I was yeah. kind of uh, confused when I, when I saw that name um you know on on the board at uh at nashville because i was like what like we had him as a d-grade prospect that means it's someone we we thought could go between the fifth and seventh round um and and just uh this this one was totally out of left field i mean he he'd pretty much been relegated to a sixth seventh defenseman spot um as seattle revved up for a memorial cup um so that's not something that you want to see some from a, a player in in their draft year, you want to see them distinguish themselves and separate from a pack, especially in, in the WHL. Um, but they, they did prioritize the position. And I think that with that in mind, with the benefit of hindsight, knowing how they approached the third round, they would have had the latitude to go with Benson in the first, because they could point to those two picks and be like, look, we want to take the, the best player, but we know that we have positional needs and we tried to address them with, with, you know, um, less high leverage draft capital, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and in addition to that too, um, I mean, the thing is, is that you're going to get criticized no matter who you pick. You're going to get praised no matter who you pick. Uh, like I'm not, I won't name names. I'm not going to like, uh, point fingers at specific people, but most of the people that I've seen who are really gassing, Villander up would have been gassing anyone up that they drafted. Yeah, it yeah. would not have mattered who they drafted. They would be saying it was great and it was the right pick. And I think that the Canucks do this thing all the time where they invent the world's dumbest guy, uh, like the world's dumbest Canucks fan, and then are like, that's the guy that we have to appeal to. And it's an imaginary guy that they made up in their head. And well, he also I, owns the team. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're right. Like, but the the thing that's so frustrating about it is that it's it's like I I think really if you look at the the especially the on a macro level the history of the Vancouver Canucks at the draft the the number one thing that like both dumb and smart guy uh fans of this team have been in lockstep about with regards to the draft is why do you keep passing on skilled WHL players that are from either that are either from the lower mainland or play in the lower mainland. Mm-hmm. And it is such a like travesty that oh, the only yeah. version well, of that guy that they've taken is Jake for 
Yes. <laughs> um, the one time where they absolutely should not have done it. And I just, I just think like, uh, it's like you said, JD, I, it would have been so easy for them to say something like, well, we took Benson because, uh, we think he's super talented. He's a local kid, you know, blah, bloody, 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 blah, whatever fucking thing that you say Best player available. Yeah, exactly. And then you turn around and you could say, and we got, uh, I mean, I would say Hunter Brustavich because that's the uh, the defenseman that they got that's actually good. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, we've seen Patrick Alvin do this thing before we got three first rounders in this trade where you just make up a logic to, you know, sound to sound smart to your dumbass owner, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But he, they could very, very easily say we got a uh we got this really high school player in Benson and then we got Hunter Brustavich who we had rated as a first round talent as a defenseman. Yep. You could easily come around and say that um it, the the whole thing about like oh well um then if they had done this, you know, they would have uh uh gotten criticized for it or whatever or or the the question of like well could they really take another skilled winger with regards or when you know when you consider the market and how much trouble they're having trading these guys or yada 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 and it's like the answer to that question is always if you're doing what you think your fans want you're you suck you shouldn't have a job you shouldn't be a general manager like the whole the thing is if you listen to the fans you'll be joining them soon yeah exactly <laughs> yeah kind of a truism and the funny thing is that is that we are in one of the few nhl markets that probably everyone would have been actually better off if they had listened to the fans for the last like fans (laughs) 10 years or so yeah yeah yeah. maybe maybe i i mean i i have a poor sense of what the like majority opinion is among a lot of fans but i mean the canucks certainly didn't listen to the fans when it came to drafting out of the WHL for the past 10 years. And that hasn't really paid off for them. So um, it's, it's like one of those, those things where it feels like the Canucks are always willing to do the unpopular thing that everyone will hate when it's stupid and wrong, but never (laughs) when it's the correct, good thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. I, no notes. (laughs) I don't know what to add to that. Um, Is the real, real quick. Uh, there's news. I don't want to talk about this news, but the Aquilinis were going to buy the Chilliwack Chiefs, the mm-hmm. WHL team. That's the WHL team, right? Yep. Well, no, or, no, no. The, the Chilliwack Chiefs would be uh, BCHL. BCA, oh, okay. right, BCHL. Yeah. Is there anything in the rule book preventing an NHL, the same owners of an NHL team buying a WHL team? No, no. And and Tom Gallardi, who, who owns the Dallas Stars, he owns, the, well, he has a stake in the Kamloops uh, Blazers. So oh. um, not only would it be allowed, but we have an example of, of someone doing that already. He's already doing that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I don't have a point there, really, but it's just considering the Canucks history and never picking from low, not even just the Giants, but nearby WHL. Um, yeah. Well, I, I do think they're buying the Chiefs kind of makes me, I don't know, I'm curious. Well, the Chilliwack Chiefs thing is is interesting because I think the reason they would want to do that is because they saw the Winnipeg ice moving. Um, and one of the possibilities was that they would end up in Chilliwack. And so you would kind of buy the uh, Chiefs, which would then become a WHL team as opposed to a BCHL team. 
you know what I mean? And and they do really well. So yeah. I think that was the logic with that one. And as soon as the ice relocated to Wenatchee, that's when that talk started to die down. And I think there's mm. something to that. Yeah, they were trying to get in on the ground floor by a buy a team for a BCHL price and then end up with a WHL team. Yes. Which makes perks, which makes sense. And I don't blame them for, for oddly intelligent for, for uh <laughs> Yeah. Can't can't couldn't have been Frank who was behind that idea. Um but the um re- returning a little bit to the Canucks in the later rounds and also the the positional um uh value exchange value question thing of of you know the the dilemma of drafting defensemen and i i realize that like this is not particularly scientific and it's not particularly fair but i i was curious and i went back and i looked at um the draft position of uh post lockout norris winners Mm-hmm. And then I did the same thing for heart winners. And uh, I the funny thing about that is that you might say that that's like not fair because defensemen could also win the heart, but it hasn't happened. Um, I, I don't think it's happened at all post logout or if it did, it happened like once. It would have been pronger right before or something like that, right? Uh, it, I was think I was thinking it's possible maybe Lidstrom won the heart one year, but I don't even think he did. Um, yeah. but I was I was looking uh, through this, and um, it, it's not a case of like, well, just draft whatever defenseman in the second round and you'll get a Norris winner. It's just an interesting sort of like reverse engineering uh, draft strategy thing. But I was looking at it. And uh, as far as Norris winners are concerned, um, five of them weren't drafted at all by the team that the player won with. And of uh, that group of defensemen, uh, only two were drafted in the first half of the first round or three, sorry. Um, And then Carlson was drafted 15th. So that's like right in the dead middle. And then the other half were Jordana was undrafted. And then there are a bunch of guys in the fifties, one guy in the sixties, one guy in the forties. Um, and then so defensemen are voodoo. Yeah, basically they, they used to be, they're more voodoo than forwards. Yeah. But I bet you, if you look at that, let's say a decade from now, you'll see that scouting defenseman has improved. Yeah, and drastically because mm-hmm. we changed what we look for. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at I think it was the 2010 draft. I think you had Colton Tuber, you had Dylan McElrath, you had all these, you know, bruising um, defensive defensemen, shutdown types, six foot four, six foot five, couldn't move, couldn't move the puck, but they looked the part. Um, or that's what the the prevailing wisdom was at the time, and. I think the mistakes of the early tens have really impacted the scouting landscape because you don't see those players taken um, that high anymore. No, no, or you just, really even at all in a lot of cases. Yeah, and so uh, and, it's like and I, I look you, at Oliver Bonk, and and Bonk would have been a top ten pick in the twenty ten yeah. draft. You know, and 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 I think that you know Philadelphia reached to get him at twenty two, but not egregiously. Like he was going yeah. in the first round, and you know I think he's someone. 
who won't be a good Branson, won't be a McElrath. He'll play no. and he might even provide some offense. So no. I think that in the past, people have identified the wrong qualities in a defenseman and that's led to some pretty um, drastically egregious fuck ups. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's definitely how I should put it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but at the same time, as but, but, a contrast to that, in terms of unique heart winners, like not including repeat winners, there, there have been 12 since the, since the lockout. And no less than half of those 12 were drafted first overall. Like that is the difference at, at, uh, at least historically at how good the industry is at scouting forwards versus scouting defensemen is like, if the industry thinks that a guy is a future heart winner, he almost always is. And if the industry thinks that a defenseman is a future Norse winner, it's like, uh, they're about as good picking in the top five as they are picking in the third round. And that's insane. And and yeah. I and I do think you're correct. Like, I do think that a lot of that is that scouting defensemen just used to be really, really bad. But I also think that uh, there's a there's a level to it, too, where um, because one of the things that you're trying to identify is essentially the absence of something. That's what defense is. It, it just is naturally harder to scout for than uh than an offensive pos- position is by default is it and isn't like i i think that i i would push back on that like the absence of something yes but you also want to identify how they play away from the puck like do they have an eye uh, a high off, off puck pace to identify developing plays and make proactive moves to disrupt them before they become a threat do you know what i mean like you can identify what defensemen are doing even as the puck is moving 15 20 30 feet away from them you just have to know what to look for and and i do think that that's part of the evolution of scouting defensemen as well is is you know as opposed to to zeroing in on what they do at the net front and and board battles and and that is useful that is part of the process but it's just as important to find out what they're doing when the puck is, is away from them. Do they identify the, the correct threats and, and even on puck, like you, you want to see how someone breaks down multiple variables at once. So perhaps you'll think like, Oh, he has to take away time and space from this one forward who's approaching, but there could be a trailing option. There could be someone coming up on the wing. How do they identify that threat and how do they make, uh, risk mitigating footwork to get between that player and that play. So like, I, I do think you can scout defensemen and look for stuff in the absence of events and come away with sound conclusions. I, I really do. That would be my pushback to that. I actually do agree with you because I think the thing that you centered in on there, that is the mistake that a lot of teams still make is pretty much everything that you described is I I don't want to say that like physical elements don't go into it, but basically what you're describing is a smart player. Yeah, that's that's what you're scouting for. You're scouting for a smart player. Yeah, exactly. A player who makes good decisions, who reads play well, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the um the problem that still happens scouting in general, but particularly scouting defensemen is instead of looking for that they are 
uh, scouts look at physical tools, which I actually think is one of the worst things to draft for. And I think dovetails nicely into some of the other picks that the Canucks made because physical tools are one of the most ephemeral things at lower levels. Like Mm -hmm. if a guy is, if you're like, wow, this guy's so big and fast, it's like, great. When he plays in the NHL, he's going to be playing against guys who are all big and fast. Everyone's big and fast. If he's big and fast and he's not putting up a point a game in the WHL, like I'm talking more as a forward than as a defenseman, but like, then guess what? He's not going to be an NHL player. Probably. Yeah. And and some of those late picks, I mean, Ty Mueller was, yeah, uh, I I knew he was going to get drafted. Like I saw that coming. He produced at about three quarters of a point per game as a D plus two in college on a program that didn't score a lot. Um, he was kind of a Swiss army knife. Like they deployed him on power play penalty kill. Um, and, and he did a lot of that hurt too. So, you know, like there, there are some signs that he could be a useful piece in, in the Canucks system. What's fascinating though, is that he was like hours away from being an undrafted free agent. Fucking <laughs> hate when they do that. Yeah. They and the same thing with Rodrigo Abels. I remember. Yeah, I mean, the the one distinction I would make is that it's not like they could have signed Mueller because he was returning for his uh, junior season with uh, Nebraska-Omaha. So they would have to wait him out. They would have to go into a bidding war. Um, Like, he would have been one of the top college free agents, undoubtedly, within a year or two. So they they jumped the queue on that one. And I think he's interesting bet because he could be a 13th forward, um, organizational depth, something like that, right? And those players have value, especially when you can develop them in-house. Sure. But did I think he would go in the fourth round? God, no. And at, <laughs> and at some level, it's like, who cares? And this this circles back to what I talked about so much in the last episode. Is like, if I, if I had to, if I was just going to like very cheaply like pick examples, the, the case that I was trying to make is as much as possible, draft Hunter Brustevich. If yeah. the opportunity... Ar- arises for you to draft a guy with Hunter Brustevich's profile, like do that every year in the second or third round for, for 10 years. And your system is going to look really good. You'll have some and, hits. Yeah, exactly. You'll have, you'll have some hits. Like a, yeah. one of the strange bits of, of pushback is like some people will go, well, you look historically at how many players you get in the fourth to seventh round. And why even comment on those picks? It's like, well, you have to try. Yeah. You know, like you have to try to, if you're not going to spend them wisely, then just trade them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like if you're going to use that pick on, on Matthew Perkins, who was the most mystifying pick of the whole bunch. I mean, a draft plus one who put up 44 points, I think in 60 USHL games. Yeah. Um, like, what are you doing? Uh, Vilmer Ulrichsen. I mean, that, that one's kind of fascinating. I don't know that it'll work out, but he's kind of got the, the Elmer Soderbloom kind of profile, which sure. is like extremely tall puck skills can move relatively well. Doesn't have a lot of sense. Doesn't play defense, you know, yeah. like he's an upside swing. He is. And, and an interesting one at that, but, I mean, between Mueller and Perkins and Aiden Celebrini, which again, that's a sixth round pick. You don't want to like go too into the weeds about that one. I can I can live with that one if there's even a one percent chance that it means he can lure Macklin here at at some point. Um, <laughs> my one, I don't mean to be like cruel or or mean, but my no. one 
a pushback is that I don't even think he'll get an ELC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's fair, yeah. right? Like, Green yeah. wasn't even good enough to to get top power play reps in the AJHL. Yeah, so you For know, sure. some people will go, "Well, that's why he didn't put up a ton of points." And it's like, well, even if he's a stay-at-home defense, yeah, but why? Yeah, <laughs> if he's to have any shot of of NHL success, wouldn't he have to be one of if not the best player on an AJHL team, Mm -hmm. especially as someone who's really old in this draft. Um, But he's also from Vancouver. His dad worked for the team. It's it's fine. Morgan Clark. Um, Morgan Clark style pick. Yeah, yeah, totally. This is just what I mean, though, is that ultimately, like, if you're going to make these baffling picks that, like, are just like, what are you doing? Like, that's when it's like, you have to take a defenseman in my opinion, because it's just because of that, like that whole relative value thing of like, well, if you're going to just like pick some guy that everyone's scratching their head about and it's a winger. (laughs) So it's like your, your, your hope bet ceiling uh, projection for this guy is like, well, maybe at left wing, he can be a 13th, 14th forward. It's just like, just trade the pick, man. Who cares? You can get an NHL player with that pick. Exactly. You, know? like yeah. you, you can. So I don't know. Uh, it's the the whole draft. If I had to sum it up, I would give the the grade of like a, a C minus. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of devastating. They only had six picks. They they don't have a great system. Like when we do our affiliated rankings, which is coming up, little plug on uh, EP nice. rank side, the Canucks will be like twenty fifth to thirty second. Yeah. Like, you can <laughs> like, seriously, like, yeah. you know, Jonathan LeCaramacchi had an awful season. Um, yeah. is that the top prospect? Yeah, uh, I know. Ratu, I mean, he was sub half point per game in the AHL in his draft plus two season. I mean, this system needs reinforcements and it needs quality, and they have refused to inject either. And, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to like overreact to one draft, one pick, but it just keeps accumulating. And that's how you have this poor of a system, which doesn't align with how poor the team in the NHL has been. So it's, it's kind of a worst of both worlds deal. And, and it's something that only the Canucks can pull off. So you almost have to salute them for it, really. Yeah. Uh, are, are, are you familiar with that? Uh, this is a, this is very Roxy Fever. Um, are you familiar with that like old quote about uh it's like Republicans say government doesn't work and then they get elected and prove it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the Canucks version of that is like the Canucks say draft picks don't matter and aren't worth anything, and then they get to the draft <laughs> and they prove it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the call is coming from inside the house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, to, to to wrap that up, um, I guess um, I, one last draft related question would be, uh, or I guess prospect related question is you mentioned that you have the affiliated rankings uh, coming out and I'm not asking you to uh, give away too much information because I do want people to give you money, but um like off the top of your head, you mentioned that the Canucks could could finish anywhere between like twenty five and and dead last. Is that and... good? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me think on that one. 
I was going to say, is there a team you can think of that's like that team's probably worse for sure off the top of your head? Uh, Boston. Okay. But they can Boston. afford to do that. Yeah, course, Boston, so. who who finished with uh, the most wins ever by an NHL team yeah. in a single season. Yeah. Oh, that's that's uh, cool. has to be the uh, The Islanders too. That's funny. The Two Islanders. teams off of my head. But that that's is funny because the Islanders, for such a long time, like I said, were a team where you 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 loved their picks and then they never panned out. Um, well, even the Canucks contributed. I assume the Canucks contribute to their lack of prospects this year by the trade with Horvat. Yeah, yeah, but taking Aturazu, he was the best one in the Isles system, and right. without him, it's pretty, it's pretty barren, it's dire. Fair enough. Yeah. And yeah, I guess they didn't have a first this year. Nope. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that doesn't help. All right. Well, we spent that's a lot of time on the draft, but I mean, we have you here, so that's the move, right? Yeah. Uh, that's 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 why we come to you is for the the that uh institutional knowledge that we have absolutely none of um but we do have to move on to free agency because that's also very important and uh also something where i feel like vias and i's opinions maybe hold slightly more weight (laughs) um sorry i uh new cat new hairballs yeah yeah it's the yeah i think it actually might be that um so to summarize, I guess the Canucks made three major signings, you know, excluding like extending Hoaglander and uh, et cetera, et cetera, depth bullshit. Um, Ian Cole, Teddy Bluger, and Carson Soucy, right? Those are the three guys. Yeah. Which one of these guys are sex offenders? Uh, so uh, bl- <laughs> blink when <laughs> I read the name out. No, I don't know. Um, it's 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 a shame because I, I was I, I I guess I I have to make the joke now about uh, Ian Cole and just say that you know with the whole number controversy I'm just glad he picked a number over 18 this time. Um, <laughs> Holy but, fuck! Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, go. Google it, <laughs> folks. Just Google it. Um, that's, uh, that's Vias, can you represent me and elite <laughs> prospects when this uh, goes public? It's just uh, the audio version of a cloud of dust in the shape of my body appears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> on the side of the building that's Vias shaped. So, uh, setting aside, yeah, uh, setting aside like um, potential off ice scandals or whatever. Um, I thought this free agency period was kind of funny because. Ultimately, do I have a problem with any of these signings? No, not not really. I think you could quibble with the Carson Susie one a little bit. Um, but it really did just feel like the market heaped endless praise on them for finally having kind of a normal free agency period. Just a modicum of restraint. That's when they didn't the and when they also didn't have any money. Like they they freed up what seven point two five in cap space, um, with the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout, and then went out into a historically weak free agent pool and spent nine, committed nine. Is that am I correct about that? Yes, about oh that. Oh my god, really? So, so th- these players, 
are about eight and a half. Eight okay, and eight and a half. So slightly, just just a little bit over what they what they saved on on Ekman Larson, and they bought him out to do that. And that there will be cap penalties in future years because of that. And it is like ultimately people just being like, well, they showed so much restraint, and wow, they did such a great job. And it's like what they did was bought a guy out to spend more money on three depth guys, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you you obviously with Susie, you make the case that they think he can be more than a depth guy. Um, and that's fine. And I think Carson Susie's fine. And I, I it's one of those things where after all of this, I really don't want to get worked up about it because it's just, just not going to be a big deal either way, probably. But like they did pay over three million dollars for a guy who's a third pair defenseman. And they are betting that at 29 years old, he's going to be more than a third pair defenseman. And if they had done this 10 years ago, we'd be critical of that. And now it's just like the Canucks have been run by a drunk toddler for 10 years. And so it's like, great job guys for, for, for only, for for the stupid thing that you do being the mildest version of it uh instead of you know OEL or whatever yeah i mean i i do like susie though it, it should okay. be that, like i like him as a 5 6 and perhaps he can be a fourth defenseman in a pinch i don't know that you want to put him in that spot reliably over an extended sample because if he hasn't shown it to this point and he's going to be 29 when the season starts, uh, I don't think you can bank on that showing up now. Right. Um, based on what we know about aging curves and and everything like that. And, and people know, definitely think he's younger than he is too. Yeah. Because I, he's a, a late bloomer, right? Like he, he went the full four seasons of college. I heard uh, IMAC on the radio say he was 27 and I was like, and that's not even me throwing shade at IMAC because I think that's what most people think. I think most people think he's like 26 or 27 and he's, yeah. he's not, he's going to be 29 when the season starts. Mm-hmm. And that he'll be signed through his age 32 season. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's some risk that he'll completely fall off, but it has to be said that he's crushed it in prescribed minutes and a third pair kind of sheltered role. Um, he's physical. He has good defensive range. He can move the puck. Um, he has a cannon of a shot that he doesn't use it often. The one time he used it pretty um, liberally, he got 10 goals with Seattle in his first season with the team. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, that's really well, funny. I didn't realize that. No, he does legit have a cannon of a shot. Um, but, like, I, I just I think too much is being asked of him or will be asked of him, and he'll be set up to fail. That's That's my concern. Mm-hmm. Because if you kept him in that role, like, you could bank on him performing really well. Um, asking him to do a lot more than that at this stage in his career, I don't know that that will work out. And, and perhaps it will, perhaps it won't. This is the type of bet that they had to make with the resources available to them. And, and we shouldn't let them off the hook for that because they signed Kuzmenko, they signed JT Miller. Do you know what I mean? Like they put themselves in this position. But given that, I think they found about as good a defenseman as they could on the open market for what they needed. Um, it's just that I think people might be a little bit too excited about this particular player. Yeah, I, I, I look at it and it, it has less to do with the deal itself in a vacuum than it does with what they're clearly thinking 
having made the deal, which is that he he's going to play in the top four. I don't, I don't see who else they have that they think is going to play on the top four. Right. He'll have like, to. He'll have to. And I, I, I look at the group and, you know, I don't know how they uh, expect to, to fill things out. And I, and I don't even know anyone's handedness, which doesn't help either. Um, do you know? Yeah, does daily, does daily face-off have any reliability to it when it comes to posting the, the little lineups? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they, they have Carson Soucy as uh, the actually he's the top right defenseman right now. Okay, so maybe they don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, lefty. that did not make sense. Yeah, and 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 Ian Cole can play both sides. Okay, um, and that's that's why he was kind of a, an interesting pickup. Um, the the offside stuff or off ice stuff. Yeah. Aside. aside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Susie is a lefty and he's always played the left side. Okay. Yeah. So that is uh, interesting. Um, uh, yeah. What's, I, what's I, the best about Carson Susie? What, what's the best thing somebody can say about him where like, was he underutilized at the teams he's, he's been in before? Like we'll have what- to find out, you know, that's, that's an open question. You know what and, I'll say? I'll 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 say this, and I I feel like JD will co-sign this. There are always guys who crushed it in third pair minutes, who teams are gonna try betting on to see if they yeah. can do that in top four minutes. And when yeah. it pays off, you get like Vince Dunn or yeah. whatever. And like that's not the upside play with Carson Susie. Like Carson Susie's not gonna become Vince Dunn. But it's not the worst bet to make because even though he's older than most of the guys that they uh, that have pulled this transition off, the worst case scenario is you get a guy who's really good in third pair minutes, assuming he doesn't fall off a cliff. And for, for me, I assume it's just getting somebody who's responsible. Yes. Yeah. For, for how bad things are now. If if I'm all in and I'm in his frame of mind, I'm like 29 year old defenseman who I can at least trust with with like a decent amount of minutes, knowing that Quinn is probably going to eat 45 minutes a night. Uh, that's 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 a gain from last year, I assume is what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And he and he is good defensively. Like that's his profile. Um, you know, I think a, a useful analog would be like Joel Edmondson. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was with St. Louis, I think he played in a role that was similar to to Susie and Montreal Bank that he could be more, and they signed him to a contract that is almost identical to the one that Susie got from the Canucks. And you know, I don't want to hype up Edmondson too much; like he's he's fine. Uh, but I think yeah. that's the play that the Canucks are trying to make with Susie, without, of course, surrendering the the asset to acquire his rights. So you know, I, I think keep your expectations in check because, like, that's you know, the bell curve, that's the center of it. <laughs> yeah. The problem uh, is they just really need another guy. Yeah. yeah like, like if you, the, the problem right now is that even if you squint, you just can't see a, I think a credible, uh, maybe credible is the wrong word, but like certainly not a good NHL top four. They still have two have top four I think if they have Ethan Bear and they find a way to to make that happen, like that yeah. would change the dynamic. 
because you know he can play alongside Quinn Hughes, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be an all-star to to hold up in that role. Like no. Luke Shen looked really good. Yeah, Even that's true. I don't think he was playing that well. You know, like I think the the myth of Luke Shen exceeded his ability. <laughs> and I hope Wyatt doesn't listen to this because he'll be very upset. With that. <laughs> but um, you know, like you, you just need someone who can you know keep his head above water, and and I think Bear can do that. And yeah, like if if they come into next. Sorry. that for 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 Ronick, right yeah Perhaps that's the game plan that's where I, I was going with that like if and it's a big if they get ethan bear into the picture and that's their top four hughes bear susie uh uh Ronick, and then maybe in some instances you can bump Ronick up onto that top pair when you really need to push or whatever like mm-hmm. You look at that and it's like, okay, if I squint, I can see it. You know, it's not like that's a good top four, but it it's it's like potentially that top four could punch above its weight based on what you have sufficient. on Yeah. Um right. it's just sufficient. one of those things where you really would it's never a good sign when you're looking at a top four and you have two guys that you point to and think those guys should be third pair defensemen. Um, one is fine. Two is like, eh. um, yeah, sorry I didn't interrupt you, but Tampa Bay has done that with their blue line. Yeah. You know, had Victor Hedman line up with a, a motley crew of replacement yeah. level defensemen. And he's kept the team, you know, 55 to 60% goal differential. Um, and with Eric Chernak and Mikhail Sergachev, they've managed to do that on second and third pairs. So, yeah. You know, there is a blueprint for doing this, but I don't know that Ronick and Hughes is the same as Hedman and Sergachev and Chernak. Yeah. yeah. Would be, you know, the obvious counter to that. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, the other one you could point to too is Pittsburgh, uh, yeah. which, you know, Rutherford and Alvin have the connections there. And they won two Stanley Cups with, at least from what I remember, was Chris Letang and a bunch of guys. Um, maybe they, did they have Schultz in there? At one point, yeah. Schultz, yeah. So Schultz Dublin, and Mata, yeah, not exactly all stars. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Like the useful defenders in there, but it's a very so, fun uh, puck doku team. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yes. Totally. yeah. Um, so that that uh, that brings us to, I mean, I think like Cole, we kind of already discussed. Do you see him as somebody who could potentially? fill in and top four and spot duty like what, I, what's his role gonna be i think he could i mean i looked at his his line mates on on natural stat trick and he played a lot with chernak and they held up really well in tough competition and so you know his first more like natural statute trick huh uh-huh. Oh, okay yeah I get it yeah, yeah. Okay. um <laughs> so he's he's still putting up solid two-way results he can move the puck he's physical like he can do a lot for a team, I think, still. And and they only took on one year, which isn't a lot, right? Like mm-hmm. you manage that sort of risk. Um, the AAV is a bit high, but if you keep the term down, that's always going to be the case. And I think that he can slide in and out of the top four, um, but he can't drive a pair. Do you yeah, know what I mean? That's fair. Yeah. He can be a Robin to you'll love this reference. He can be a Robin <laughs> to uh to a headman's Batman, but he sure. can't lead the way. Yeah. Uh and and I don't even think you want to do that over an extended period either. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, you have to put him in the top four in a pinch. I think you can live with that 
if you have to do that consistently, given that he is, you know, 34 years old, he'll be 35 by February, like oh, that, I don't know that he'll hold up particularly well. And you also yeah. have to worry about the attrition of playing those minutes at this age and what it will do to his game as the season goes on. So, you know, I, I think he's a perfect four, five, six guy for this team. And the contract I like, um, you know, the off ice stuff, like, uh, yeah. Well, what else can we say about that? I mean, look into uh, yourselves and draw your own conclusions. Yeah. Um, Do your own research, folks. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the documents. (laughs) Uh, You know, so like, I I like in a vacuum what they've done with this blue line, given the the limitations in front of them that they placed there themselves. Um, The one player I'm actually kind of concerned about, though, and we haven't talked about him a lot yet, is Teddy Blugers. Yeah, perfect. I'm not concerned about him necessarily because I don't think he's a good player. Um, Like, there's a reason that the the Vegas Golden Knights identified him at the trade deadline and moved out not a premium asset, but a a, a mid-level asset, a third-round pick to get him out of Pittsburgh. And, And what concerns me is that it took them, like, one playoff series to go, all right, we've seen enough. And he was pretty much out of the lineup. Um, you know, like he He was their fifth play. center. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He didn't play in the cup final. Yeah. Uh, Are not? Jesus. No, he was like the fourteenth forward. Yeah. Um, and so you, you look at that and you go, so he's the fourteenth forward on a cup winning team. The Canucks need him to be the third line center. How is that going to work? Yeah. And, and part of what's concerning about it too is that Bluegers is a player I've I've long respected. Like if you look at his early career work, work with the Penguins, it's really strong defensive results in in pretty tough minutes. Like he was a a Manny Malhotra type uh, for the 2010-11 Canucks. Like that's how I would describe him at the height of his game. But he's fallen off a bit, and and it you know I know he's only 28. He'll be 29 when the season starts. But for some players, when when age related decline hits, it's not precipitous it's immediate and so you see signs of that in his age 28 season well perhaps that's not noise that's signal the situation at center for the canucks is so dire yeah and and a lot of people how dire it is take for granted that that bluegers can be a 3c and and i just i don't think that you can win consistently with him as a third line center because he was barely that when he was at his best, you know, and now we're seeing him decline. Yeah. Like, how do you reconcile that? And then who's their fourth line center? I suppose it's Neil's own Oman, which is not terrible, but like it just, they, they have this group of guys where it's like, okay, there's, if you're, if you're going to do the Drance tears thing, right. You have the elite tier of Elias Pettersson. And then your second tier is elite question mark as a winger. We don't really know as a center Mm -hmm. as your second tier. And then your third tier is guys who have like semi credibly played center in the NHL at some point. Uh, Bluger's at the top of that. I would say like, Neil Zaman was what, like a replacement level center last year, maybe slightly above a replacement level defense. He was adequate. Yeah. Adequate center. Yeah. And then not, not a liability. No. 
And so, like, they have four looking at the roster, like they have four guys who I can say, like, yeah, they those are four guys that can credibly play center in the NHL, setting aside at what level or on what line or whatever. Um, and that's like they need like three more than that. Yeah. To, well, to be a good bet to make the playoffs, in my opinion. What's really funny about this, too, is that there's been so much talk about dumping salary on the wings and and for particularly Connor Garland. Like you have to move him out. You have to move him out. He's making five million. That's too much. And what's really funny is that if you have Bluegers as your three C, you need Garland. On Absolutely. That. Like because yeah. he proved at the end of last year that he can drive play in a bottom six role um, and was pretty dire, you know, support. Mm-hmm. So now you can't move him because if you do without getting a three C in return, well, that, that line is screwed because Brock Besser for all his quality can't drive play. Um, and also he'll want to play in the top six. So it's really funny the position they put themselves in, um, but they do still need to move someone from the wing because while well, Tanner Pearson might be coming back, Neil Spoelmacher oh, is making 1.1 mil like how do you fit all these players <laughs> who are their best defensive wingers Would you um say? tanner pearson was pretty good um in his last full season assuming he comes back and and he's at you know full yeah uh, his form hasn't declined uh connor garland is is really good defensively um gee <laughs> that's kind of where you're that's kind of what you're looking at like as soon as i ended at garland i was like holy shit like who else um i wonder if the play from a coaching standpoint here is you know you have elias Pettersson. that's your first line he inevitably eats a lot of tough matchups because that's how it works um and that's life and he is a first line center and whatever. And you that's that's that line. And then I wonder if you just feed like a Bluger Garland, whoever line to the Wolves defensively and just be like, OK, go out there and get your ass kicked and just try not to like totally kill us. Mikheyev, that's the oh, one. Oh, Mikheyev, yeah, perfect. perfect. So if you, if you yeah. have a Bluger, Garland, and Mikheyev third line, like I think that that line could keep its head above water. I really, like, or you could put that line to the Wolves back. and then give a give a JT Miller line like soft scoring minutes. You have to. You absolutely have to. Because I don't he can hold up in toughs unless they have another, uh, like a, a another plan coming or something, or they they have some weird like three-dimensional chess thing where eventually they're going to trade Myers and use that money to, to pick up another center who is like a middle six center or something, which I would love for them to sign Puse uh, Sutter. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the one I keep coming back to. Like he, he can't hold up in a matchup role, but if you have him at three C, if you have Bluger at four C, you know, you can give him prescribed, offensive minutes and he can cook yeah and he can put up about 40 points bluger you'll be lucky if you get 30 <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? very lucky yeah um and if you have garland playing with Suter, like i think that line can have at least a positive goal differential like perhaps not a huge positive but you know good enough like 50 51 52 
it's if you it's get that out of your third line, yeah. you can win. It's very much one of those things where if you assume that like Patterson's gonna be elite goal differential with his line, and then you assume that uh Quinn Hughes is gonna be elite goal differential with his pairing. And you know, that's pretty reasonable. Yep. All you really need from everyone else to be like at least a, a, a 50-50 bet to make the playoffs is for everybody else to be like average to only slightly below average. It's like the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect example. And can they be that team? I think perhaps, but they also don't have the high end of, of the of the Oilers. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's an interesting uh, experiment. <laughs> we'll see how this, this whole... For me, this whole team composition, the, the the way it smells to me is that I think about the seasons around like maybe not 2020, but like 2019, 2021, those pretty bleak years where after our best our best young guys, there was really nothing going on. This feels like they've done a lot of work, uh, put a lot of brain power, put a lot of money into basically taking the team from being a D minus to a C plus. Like it's a lot, it's a lot more informed in getting there, but that's still as far as they've been able to get um, based off the traps that they've set for themselves. Uh, And, and uh, yeah, so it's like, okay, I can kind of see what they're doing. They just want to make sure they don't have so many holes in their roster that we're going to get blown out a bunch of times and lose games that we really don't need to be losing. Um, But it feels like they've just kind of become like an actually mediocre team again. Yeah, I mean the ceiling is, is seventh place in the West, but the floor is now eleventh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's how you describe the aspirations of this team. Yeah. And my criticism, well, one of my criticisms of this offseason would be just how lacking in ambition it was. Yes. Like jobs are on the line. If they don't make the playoffs, Albion and Rutherford could be gone. Um, and this is the best they could do. They haven't moved out yeah. any salary. They've, they've bought out OEL, but they still have Tyler Myers on the book. They still have Connor Garland on the book. They still have uh, Brock Besser on the books. Like uh, they JT failed. Miller. JT the Miller. The brand yeah. new contract. This yeah. is the Patterson contract year. Yeah. yeah. And Hronick. So it's just like, this is the best you can do. And, and this is your aspiration is to be like the, the 14th best team in the NHL if if everything breaks right wow that's that's quite the message i mean oof. i don't they've know built a roster they've built one of the only rosters that the canucks have had in the past decade or so that looks good on reddit like yes, pro- yes. like a fan projected roster on reddit without uh, having to assume that some guy who's like either a prospect or a guy who's never played in the top six before is going to be like a good top six player. Like yeah, no Magnus. <laughs> yeah. No, no it, like the, the one that, uh, that I sort of uh, think of is like um, uh, the, the, the elite tier is Sven Berchi and the like really bad low tier is like Lyndon Vey where it's just like, well, they got this guy on a hope bet that'll be a top six player, and we have him penciled in as our like 
first or second line winger on a line with guys that are with like Nick Benino or whatever, right? Like yeah, a yeah. guy who's like not even re- like <laughs> I don't know. It used to be so bleak. Yeah, exactly. Cannot connect Sarah Nick Benino too. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that pretty much covers the uh, everything I wanted to about the draft and free agency. Um, I I think the only thing left is, do you guys just mind if we say a quick word on the sure. whole Ian Cole jersey controversy? Are you still there, Jimmy? Yeah, breaking okay, yeah, out of yeah. SAWs, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, well, so... And, and woke mob. Yeah, we got to take on the woke mob. Um, uh, <laughs> look, okay, so... Maybe all I'm, those guys are just like paid off by the by the by big motorcycle, and they <laughs> they, they, they want they don't want anybody to like spread the message that motorcycles are dangerous. Oh man, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a lot of that like, was in bad taste, wasn't it? I've been I've been <laughs> I've, got, I've got nothing yeah, on that. It was, but I've been looking through. Uh, I I want to do Luke Bourdon as the Heritage Minute uh, for the next Heritage yeah. Minute that we do, um, because it's just it's been long enough now, anyways, and it's a good. Uh, there's, you know, I've been doing the whole newspapers.com thing and, uh, I found some really, uh, interesting stuff, stuff that I don't think people really know or, or, um, and the other thing too, is that Luke Bourdon, um, I think played such an important role in the best era of Canucks hockey that we've yes. ever seen that people don't like. And, and the you thing is, is it's, they, they know the story now by this point of Luke Bourdon, but they don't know the full story of like his impact and his legacy because he passed away so young and that was the story. And then by the time you could talk about his, like the, his legacy, that's not front of mind anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I guess the 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 I'm, I'm burying the lead here for anybody that doesn't know. There was a little snafu uh, earlier in the week where it was announced that Ian Cole was going to wear uh, number 28, which is the number he's worn for pretty much his whole career. It's also the number that Bourdon wore in his last season of professional hockey uh, before he passed away at the age of 20, 21. I can't remember. Very young. 21. Yeah, I think 21 as well. Um and uh, Bourdon had worn other numbers elsewhere before, but that was the last number that he wore in the NHL. Um, and that was the only number he wore in the NHL, right? Or did he play? I think the... he wore four at one point, maybe. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But that was the, like, uh, uh, like Luke Bourdon, when he, um, and I pointed this out on Twitter, uh, when they had the memorial for Luke Bourdon, his coffin was draped in a yeah. Canucks 28 jersey. So that's his number, like, yeah. as far as as far as this sort of thing is concerned. And I, uh, yeah, Jay, I had a bad memory about yeah. the numbers. And I was like, I thought I remember a four in there. And when once you told that story about the coffin, I completely am like, OK, I got to know. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. Like. Um, and the other thing, too, that someone, I think a listener or possibly just a follower um, pointed out to me is that number was handed out like candy for the first 35 years of the Canucks existence. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, after 2008, it was never handed out. Yet. So, uh, like, 
that that shows you something. And JD, you have a better pool of knowledge for like non Canucks teams than Vias and I have, but like, I realize that the Canucks are kind of unique in how many like tragic deaths they've had, uh, uh, for uh, for an NHL team, particularly like a lot of them bunched together. Uh, but like my understanding is that this is pretty standard practice across the NHL that like if a guy dies while he's on your active roster, um, you just kind of quietly don't give out his number again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, to be honest. Sure. Like I don't have a huge frame of reference for this. Like I know that, Connor Hellebuck with the Winnipeg Jets, like he he honors um, Dan Snyder who passed away in the Danny Heatley crash. Oh wow! Um, with Manus Rashers, because yeah. um, he wore thirty seven. So Hellebuck has a patch dedicated to him within the the jersey itself, and sure. he reached out to the family to get permission and all this stuff. Um, so I think it's it's unique. It's case by case basis. But I, I think the circumstances of, of Bourdon's deaths, which are pretty close to those of, of Snyder, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. such that it does kind of, it, it's heavy. It has yeah. weight. It yeah. has meaning. And, and something that was striking was people, you know, lashing out at the, the cancel culture and the SJ dubs and all that crap. Which just abysmally stupid. I mean, good God. And I didn't see uh, any, like, the, the other thing, too, is, like, I thought the level of, like, criticism that they received was very fair and measurable. reasonable. Like, eminently extremely reasonable, just a lot of people being, like, they should probably consult the family if they're going to do that. It's, I'm sure it's not, like... Uh, you know, I'm sure Ian Cole doesn't even know what ha- like the significance of this. Yeah, and you would like to think that somebody in the organization would have caught that before we reach official statement from the team and the player territory. Yes. But like, I don't think anybody re- like uh, maybe a few people or whatever. But but like, it seemed to me that the criticism was was very measured, very just like, well, that was an unnecessary mistake. And then once it was corrected, people were just like, good, great. Yes. And the people that I saw getting the most mad about it were after he made the decision, the correct decision to ch- switch to 82. The people that I saw getting the most unreasonably upset about it were the people that saw, and it's just like an increasing type of person, I feel like, who gets mad whenever anyone shows humility or growth or admits that they made an error yeah or suggests that possibly something they did might inadvertently be hurtful or in this case i don't even think hurtful just like not the proper thing to do and i was saying off mic that like the the whole sjw angle of it is so fucking stupid because i guarantee you one thousand percent that this is an issue, one of the one of maybe like three issues in all of existence that Don Cherry and I are like a thousand percent in lockstep on. Like, yeah, yeah. Th- this isn't like some new, like, uh, blue haired, fucking bisexual, like, 
idea that people have. This is like an old school hockey guy. So we love those ideas. It has to be said. Of course, yeah. Uh, I'm hugely in favor of those ideas. Um, Well, well, one thing I would add, too, is people said, oh, people looking to be upset, people making stuff up to be upset about. And it's like, well, definitionally, like if someone is upset by that, perhaps you should listen to why. Perhaps that has some meaning. Perhaps you can explore that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it was. I don't know. Like, I think the fact that people were upset in and of itself suggests that it was something perhaps not sacred, perhaps that's overstating it, mm-hmm. but that it, it was meaningful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like people are allowed to be sincere yeah. and set and have feelings and attachments and emotions and react. And you don't have to condemn that like that. That is human, innately human. And it, it, it won't always be reasonable. But in this case, I think it was. I really do. And like, really could you imagine just, uh... people trying to make this case about Rick Rippon? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like that would just like, that would be really disgusting to me because, it, because with Bourdon, like, I think it's, it's further away. It hasn't, um, it doesn't have the same place in Canucks fan culture right now that Rippon did like R- the, the well, Rippon well, thing is like isolated. Rippon was part of a, a a series of deaths too, right? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And and he also like he it was right after that 2011 run. He had the friendship with Kevin BX. So they it was you know it was a suicide, which is terrible, and and it led to the mind check stuff and and all of that and and um like it it sort of in it it had a more I don't even want to say it had more of an impact, but really what it is is it's just. It is one of those things that was that is like passed down generationally to Canucks fans the same way that there are like 19 year olds who hate Mark Messier, even though like they have no actual personal connection or reason to hate Mark Messier. They just know that's a thing you're supposed to think as a as a Canucks fan. And that's what makes this whole thing so interesting to me is that like it what this shows me about a lot of these people is that if they were around um, 25 years ago, the kind of opinions that they would be saying is like, uh, it's good that they gave the captaincy to Mark Messier and it's, and like, who cares how they treated Trevor Linden and like Mike Keenan won a Stanley cup and what do you know? And he won and blah, 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 blah. Like all of, all of these like sort of. Oh, Jackson, I think like, don't even take 25 years. I think even the Rippin era, there would yeah. have been enough people who somehow found that as a wedge issue and, and made, you know, and yeah. said all that stuff you're talking about right now. About but I, I, but this is what I mean and is that it can actually making, uh, go ahead. Yesterday is, is it's just like today's like gourd ass, you know, calling into the 1040 inbox to call JD Burke a cuck, uh, type fan opinion about 25 years ago that type of fan now if they went back in time would they would those people would hate each other because they would be like they would have the soy opinions about like uh you know uh oh well like uh trevor linden like who actually cares about trevor linden he's not even that good or whatever, uh, like my the the opinion I have about. I was going to say, now. which is true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, 
it's just it's just interesting uh interesting to me because it's the first time i've ever it's i've seen it's like i've genuinely seen this flip because i could see the purely uh like the 20 year old version of myself the purely transactional sports is all about numbers version of myself being like well who cares like it doesn't matter um but in this instance it's it's like it's reversed it's the the kinds of people who you would think would normally have the the heart and soul kind of uh you know eye test or whatever opinions that are saying like this kind of like jd said like you don't quite want to call it sacred but um i just think it's so stupid and it's so bizarre and it's it's like i think the furthest distance i've ever seen between something getting called like woke or sjw or cancel culture or, or whatever and the actual thing so like, uh, my my theory my theory on this is like i haven't seen any discourse about this outside of twitter mm-hmm. uh that is one thing but i'm not saying it's completely limited to it mm-hmm. but i feel like that kind of person this the kind of idiot in this situation it's as simple as this they don't think about what the issue is they see who is voicing their opinion about it. Yeah. And if it's women who have opinions different to them slash women in general, mm-hmm. or anybody who they uh, would call queer or left or whatever mm-hmm. that they yeah. don't like, they see what their opinion is and they automatically flip it. They automatically yeah. think I can't be on the side of that. I'm going to, I'm going to automatically, clearly that person is wrong i must take the other opinion and it happens like in a split second because they don't want to be seen agreeing with somebody who they think is a sjw and therefore they don't want to be seen as gay like that is the kind of logic that they and and wind themselves into i think that's how you end up getting them being so against their own logic like you said yeah this is something that don cherry guy who doesn't really use twitter like he's not of that generation no completely different uh he would be like, of course, moment of silence. Like, re- consider getting his jersey retired, unofficially retired. Yeah, like he would totally do that. He would say, I would imagine, he would say, Ian Cole's a, a good Canadian kid who wouldn't ever do that on purpose, but the team made yeah. the right decision. Don't give the number out. Like, that's yeah. that's what he would which is basically my opinion, except for yep. the good Canadian kid part. Um, but like, uh, the, 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 the thing that I would say, I completely agree with you in the, the, the like mirror image of that is that the like increasingly feudal, uh, like mindset that people have, which is just like team good, everything they do good, everything they do right. Yeah. These people are criticizing them. Therefore the criticism is wrong because yeah, I think, I think those go together. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. Yeah. Two ingredients in the same bottle, basically. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's all I really have to say about it. I don't want to make it a bigger thing than it is because they ultimately made the right decision. And I don't think they deserve like that much shit over it. I just really seeing people make these arguments about like, well, you didn't even play for them that long and it doesn't even really matter. It's like as if that's the point. It's it's a not the point and B. It's like a a dude who was almost a child, like died and it was really sad. And he was and like, I implore people, like, if you don't know about Luke Bourdon, like, yeah, listen to our episode or whatever when we do it. But like, 
Uh, just go read about the guy. Like He very seems... much could have been the Canucks' best defenseman before Quinn Hughes. Absolutely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. He probably would have played a, a, a big role in the 2011 uh, team. He did play a big role in the 2011 team, but yes, team he did. By virtue of him not being there. And also like he was they, basically there for the most famous Canucks goal of all abso- time. Absolutely. And I, 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 fe- I, I feel like we, we assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I'll just quickly explain. Yeah. Alex Burroughs was very close with, with Luke Burdon. And I, and I know that Jackson, when you do your, uh, the heritage minute work that that's probably going to be a big part of it. Yeah. Um, and that was like Alex Burroughs, uh, bone arrow shot was his yeah. big celebration in 2011 and, and 2010 leading after that. And that was in memory of Luke Bourdon. Cause that's what, that was what he did in junior yeah. and with the, with the Manitoba moose. And if you, if you read again, like contemporaneous articles and stuff like Burroughs talked about in the lead up to um, the, the Stanley cup final, I believe I may, may be getting the timeline slightly off, but I, I basically remember him in the waiting period between, uh, like, uh, beating the sharks and then playing the Bruins in the final him saying in an interview, like, I think about Luke during the anthems during every game. Um, and and so like, yeah, like he had a real impact. He had a real, real legacy. And in addition to that, like more importantly, he was like, uh, uh, he was a 21 year old kid who actually had to overcome like some pretty amazing adversity to get to where he was. And if you read about him, he sounds like genuinely an absolute sweetheart. The kind of guy who actually had like, um interests outside of being a hockey player he played guitar he wrote love songs and poetry for his high school sweetheart like oh tragic like so sad and it just like i i i I don't know why you would like when i say when i say this and when i talk about this like i am not trying to score imaginary points with anybody this is a thing that just legitimately upset me and i and on either side of it hypothetically even though i only think one side really exists like i just do not like this being a thing that people use as an argument or as like a way to score imaginary points or as a logic dork thing like it's just like it's a really sad thing that happened the i think the right thing to do is to keep the number out of circulation when if you're not if you want to take the number at least talk to the family i think that's pretty standard i think that's a pretty normal thing to think and and i was just it really really bothered me seeing people make any other case than that really um mm-hmm. and so i wanted to end on that note because uh i just basically want to implore people like learn about luke bordon cool guy sad mm-hmm. sad story but not just a sad story also yeah. a cool story in some ways in spite of how sad it is so yeah. you know i'll just Good end on you. that note um uh anything to add from either of you before we sign uh, no that was a good framing to me uh thanks thanks for doing that and uh thanks both of you for taking the lead in the episode i this is not my wheelhouse and yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> obviously and i love hearing both of you talk about it oh thank you that's you're that's a good sport <laughs> yeah just you... me. i really appreciate it i'm, I'm, I'm the new Elliot. maybe i'm the new Elliot. sometimes when yeah. when the episodes are less stupid, we need you to come in clutch when we need the episodes to be goofy and lighthearted. And, time. and yeah. this was not one of those episodes because there was legitimately so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so oh, I, yeah. 
I extend my oh, yeah. thanks to JD for uh, for coming on once again and uh, helping us with uh, the the real like uh, you know smart guy shit that where we oh. actually need to know what we're talking about, uh, particularly yeah. with the draft, but also free agency. Um, yeah. See, see you next week, pal. Yeah, no, <laughs> and I know we we uh, I know we always make uh, fun of JD, and I wouldn't ever have it any other way. But uh, we do that because uh, he's the best. Uh, we I I wouldn't be here without JD. Vias wouldn't certainly. Neither of us would be here without JD. Uh, I there are still very few. Um, JD, other... don't make any jokes about how I wouldn't be here without you. <laughs> I know the joke you're gonna make. Um, and and uh, importantly too, uh, there are not uh very many other people who write about hockey who I would rather uh get opinions from. It's a very very small uh, group. So yeah. now yeah. I'm blushing and, and speechless, and and all I can say is thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for having yeah. me. On. Uh, anything to plug before we sign off? No, I'm on vacation. Rock on. Uh, well, thanks. Good. Thanks especially <laughs> for joining us on uh with that context in mind. Um yeah. I yeah. will plug the Patreon, patreon.com slash Roxy Fever. Don't follow me on Twitter. Um the uh I just yeah, did don't a her- even try to find me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I just did a heritage minute on my own uh that I thought was really interesting. It's a little dry, but it's like a thing that people should absolutely know about. Uh the death of William Fisher who was the last man to be sentenced for his role in the 2011 Vancouver Stanley Cup riot. He died in police custody a few years ago. And it's like this totally bizarre story that nobody knows about. So I talked about that on the Patreon. Folks, and, where else are you going to get this? Yeah, content? exactly. Uh, I went into the fucking court records and shit. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and uh, this month, next month, I can't remember how the timelines line up. Uh, I'll be talking about another guy who died, unfortunately, but uh we're going to talk about Luke Bordon. So, you know, it's, I think you get your money's worth uh, over there. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll Thank see you, you next time, whenever the fuck that is. <laughs> All right. Talk to you then. <laughs>